It's the No Water Methodist podcast, and this is Jeffrey Rickman. I'm the pastor here, and I'm the voice you're pretty much always hearing right now. Um, I've been generating a lot of content on another thing I've started. It's a podcast called Plain Spoken, where I'm trying to uh, get a handle on what's going on in the United Methodist Church and the larger, broader stuff going on. So uh, anyway, if, if you're interested in that sort of thing, you're welcome to find me on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or YouTube or Facebook. TJ keeps me in pretty good shape. Um, we're going to keep the No Water Methodist podcast just to the content that this church is generating because um, we, we don't want the church at all being roped into my personal opinions on stuff. Um, and that might seem ironic given that you're going to be listening. I mean, the whole podcast is me preaching, but the thing is, as I'm preaching, I'm trying not to give personal opinions. I'm trying to give um, thoughts, meditations, uh, truths that are direct reflections from the Holy Scriptures, whether or not they conform to my opinions. And um, for anyone who's listened to me for any period of time, you know that I'm really putting myself to the test because I'm often preaching things that make me uncomfortable, um, that do not at all conform to things that uh, I want to say. Um, you know, I, I've been here long enough. I, I know and love pretty much everybody. I do not enjoy saying things that make people uncomfortable, but you know, that's that's where the, the scriptures put us. Um, this last Sunday, we resumed the Revised Common Lectionary, since we're in the middle of Lent now. Uh, we're not in the middle, we're at the beginning. Oh my gosh, I'm already so done with fasting. Um, but uh, our first reading is from Genesis, and it's talking about Adam and Eve in the fall. And I, I made the mistake of asking if there were any questions about the reading, and there was one question, and it just set me off on this tangent on marriage. And uh, the whole time in my head, I'm going, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. But then I just keep talking. And the folks there really received it well. And even um, even the day after, I got a text message from somebody whose mother listened to it online from 50 miles away and really was blessed by it. Um, the, the thing I didn't say in the sermon that I'll say now is just, I think the way that our culture thinks around marriage doesn't work. Um, even people that stay married are often unhappily married, and divorce is, is high. And, and I just think we, as a culture, believe a number of things that just don't work. And we've convinced ourselves that what the Bible says just doesn't work, and I'm not so sure that's true. So this, uh, the primary bulk of, of what you're about to listen to is me doing my best to present not my opinion, but a biblical worldview on marriage and how it can and should work between husbands and wives. So, if uh, you're looking for something to be offended about, you are going to find it. Uh, but if you are uh, perhaps looking for a different way to approach your own marriage then I, I hope this is a real blessing to you. It's been a real blessing to me to change how I see marriage. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. God bless you. Here it is. Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world.
first reading is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, which you can find on pages 3 and 4 in your pew Bibles. Listen for the word of, the, of God. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in that day thou that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all of the cattle and to all fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meat for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. The word of the Lord. Before I highlight the things that I think are important about these verses, these are, you know, there's some stories that a lot of people in the Bible don't know. Almost everybody has heard this story that, that we just heard. Has anybody ever have, had some questions about this that have just always bugged you that you'd like an answer to? Why does Adam get all the blame? So we're going to come to the, the New Testament reading in Romans where it doesn't even mention Eve. It just blames Adam, and then it says Jesus is the new Adam. Why is it that it falls heavily on Adam? Um, there, there are a couple potential, there are a few potential answers, and I don't think I'm going to tell you mine, um, but the potential answers are, the, I think the classical one would be um, it, was it was a patriarchal culture who wrote this down, who cares about women, it's only men that have agency. Um, I don't think that one passes the sniff test, because if Eve didn't have agency, uh, it wouldn't tell us about her talking to Satan and making the decision, and I, I don't know why it would tell us that if women don't have agency, you know, why that would be reported. So if women do have agency, yes, it was a patriarchal society in some ways, however, if you're wanting to make some kind of um, 
ex I would call it an extremist feminist case that the Bible doesn't care at all about women. It only cares about men. I just don't think that that passes the sniff test. I think there are way too many examples in the Bible that, that show uh, a great consideration for women, young and old, smart and dumb, and I, I don't know. It, 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 Y'all ever heard the story of the first guy who, uh, who tried to become king over Israel? His name is escaping me right now. But he was, um, he was besieging a city, and he was yelling terms up to these people, and some random lady just grabbed a stone and threw it down, and it hit him in the head and killed him. And that's how it ended. It's one of the, he, actually, he didn't immediately die. He was dying, and he asked some young man next to him, he says, would you please stab me so it not be said that some woman killed me? <laughs> and the guy stabbed him, and yet later on it still reports on this guy that some random woman killed him with a rock. So, um, you know, it's, there, there are several stories that care about the role of women. Uh, so many. I, I can immediately think of so many. Um, I, I think part of it is because... Um, I think it's much more likely that part of the story here is complementarian. So there are two images of marriage um, that, that really don't fit together. One is called egalitarianism, one is called complementarianism. Egalitarians believe that there is no substantial difference between men and women. They, they can both work outside of the home, can both work inside of the home. They can both go battle, they can both stay home and build a household. Uh, yes, they have um, different uh, anatomy, but that's the only difference. Complementarians uh, believe that men and women are, are different in some ways. They both inhabit the, the image of God, but they have different roles that they are called to fulfill. So if you look at Genesis uh, 2, where we started off, when Eve was created for Adam, Adam was lonely. He couldn't do life on his own. He needed a helpmate. Eve was given as a helpmate. So the 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 notion there there is a complementarity there where they are different they have different roles but they work together so a complementarian understanding of marriage is the man and the woman are both a team they are a married team under god's headship and glory um, and they both work in complementary ways the man leading the woman as a helpmate in order to accomplish that now egalitarians look at that and say oh how sexist that doesn't work but the thing is, if you don't have that, then you have two co-equal partners that are both fighting to be the boss. You know, either that or you just delineate everything so you're never fighting. But pretty much most of the marriages I've seen that are complementarian, it's, well, I feel stronger about this, so I'm going to have my way. Well, I feel stronger about this, and I'm going to have my way. And uh, you can get ugly about it, but I can get uglier. You know, and that's how you figure things out in an egalitarian marriage. Within a complementarian marriage, the man takes the lead for better or for worse, and the woman tries to help him succeed for better or for worse. And the grace of that relationship um, uh, hopefully works itself out in a way that glorifies God. You feel really sorry for women married to idiots like me, um, but it's better if you're working together than if you're tearing your husband down, right? So a lot of people look at this story and they say, Eve took the lead here, and it's Adam's fault. It's Adam's fault that she was the one talking with Satan. It's Adam's fault that she was the one who took that bite. And it's not that she shouldn't have agency. It's that he should be, if he's going to be the leader, then he should lead. Have you ever been in an organization where the leadership doesn't lead? It's miserable. Okay, and we're not just talking about marriage, although that applies, or a family, that applies. Just any business, any group. If the leaders don't lead, 
then there's chaos. And then it's, it's, it's uh, some kind of Nietzschean Ubermensch competition where everybody's fighting to be the leader and it's, it's a will to power type thing. The, the way that structures work is there's a leader and then there's helpers and then there's followers. And then what you see is Satan comes and he interrupts that. I'm giving, you a, I'm giving you one interpretation. I'm not saying this is the answer, but this is the one that makes sense to me. Adam is blamed. And if you remember, when God comes, Adam, he comes seeking Adam. And Adam says, oh, I was afraid because I was naked. He says, how did you know you were naked? Did you eat that fruit? And he said, well, the woman that you created for me, she, she gave it to me. You know? And then God says to Eve, is that true? And she says, well, the snake, he, he, he tempted me. And the thing is, you know, that is, this whole story is told to explain to us how evil works. What evil does is it interrupts structure, creates chaos, and it turns us against one another. You see how Adam and Eve immediately are turned against one another? You know, rather than taking it on the chin, he says, well, this woman. And then she, she you know, this is from the first page, you know, let me ask you this. Did God give Adam and Eve a good deal or a bad deal when he put them in that garden? That's about the best deal. They don't even have to work. They just get to walk around. Oh, here's an apple. Oh, here's a banana. They just get to eat wherever. They don't even have to wear clothes. They can just, I mean, it's perfect. He gives them this perfect deal. There's one rule, one rule. He says, don't eat from that tree over there. And then this is how Satan works. He comes up to the woman. He says, is it true y'all can't eat from any of these trees? And he knows that's not true. He knows that's not true, but he gets her thinking on, what's the thing I can't? She says, oh, I can eat all these, but I can't eat that one. And he says, oh, that one? Oh, that's the best one, though. He doesn't want you to eat that one, not because he knows what's good for you, but because he's jealous. He wants you to stay stupid. But if you eat that, you'll be like him. You'll see how stupid he is. I'm putting my words, just forgive me. I'm playing fast and loose with it. But he, he so easily needles his way in. And then the rest is history, right? And that's how sin works in our lives. So that's, that's the theme that we need to be uh, focusing on today. How does sin work? And the way it works is Satan gets us thinking about the things that we cannot do. Things the Bible says not to do. And we go, why can't I do that? I remember being in high school. I remember uh, they, they, they would come to school. We had the D.A.R.E. program. And they would say, don't do drugs. Let me tell you about some junkie. His life fell apart. And then, you know, what my brain did went, well, uh, he was weak. I'm strong. I could do it. You know, or you hear about people going to the casino and losing everything. Well, I, I could do it. I, I, could, I could know when to get out. You know, I remember there was, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that story. So <laughs> um, we, we, this is how Satan works. He, he, he says, you, you really think you're that weak? You can't do something. And it's really hard to look at Satan square in the eyes and say, yeah, I am that weak. <laughs> Get away from me, Satan. I want nothing to do with that temptation. But that's, that's the power that the Bible gives us. That's the clarity the Bible gives us. It says, don't do it. And then our human brain, under the influence of Satan, goes, oh, I can do it. I can just do it in this way. You know, I can just get away with it in this way. And then the Bible gives us that clarity. You go, no, I am stupid. I am limited. I was born in sin. I, I've been brought to the promised land. I cannot go back to the wilderness. Satan Hell no. I am not going with you. But we don't, if we don't have that discernment, then over and over again, this is what you look throughout the whole Bible, you see the sin of Adam and Eve being replicated over and over again 
people perpetuating cycles of violence, of self-love and self-aggrandizement and pride, of idolatry, all that gets lived over, over and over again. All of that stuff is in, the, in this story. Pride? Yeah. She thinks she's smarter than God. And Adam follows right along with her. And he deserves the blame. Because, man, I'll tell you. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess a thing. The, I am not a perfect husband or a father. And sometimes, but, you know, uh, this week, Clementine is, uh, she's had a sickness, you know, and it's messy. That's all you need to know. So, and her mother does not like cleaning up that mess. And her mom just happens to be the one that's close. And so her mother doesn't fully understand she's sick yet. But she, 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 uh, Clementine comes up to her while we're at a friend's house. And Clementine says, Mama, please don't yell at me. I had an accident. And Sarah's heart was broken. Sarah Beth's heart was broken because, you know, when your daughter's coming to you and saying, please don't yell at me, she says, I don't want to be a mother who yells, you know. And uh, uh, so the next morning, same thing happens. And Clementine is standing in the, the hallway crying. And Sarah Beth is losing it. I can hear her escalating. And I finally say, Mama! Get out of here. And she does. She does. Man, God bless my wife. Because, you know, most women, if their husband says, get out of here, they go, how dare you tell This is my house. Sarah Beth, she goes, ah, okay. And she got out of there. And I was able, I cleaned it all up. Look at me, perfect dad. Um, <laughs> but, but the whole moral of that story is my job as the husband is to keep my wife from her worst self. I'm, I'm the guide of that family, and God help my family. If I cannot be a check on my wife's worst self, then we're just subject to my wife's worst self. And it's a man's responsibility to learn how to intervene with his wife and go, no, no, no. And if Adam had done his job, he would have stepped in and said, Eve, put that fruit down, and the rest would be history. But because Adam kept his mouth shut and he followed along, that's why I think Adam gets the blame. It was, his, it was on his watch. You know, the buck stops there. And if y'all think I'm a sexist, I'm sorry. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I, I believe that a, a, a great deal of suffering is caused today because men have given up the authority and leadership that they have. They've just become pushovers. And um, have you looked at how many men are unemployed? Have you looked at how many men are divorced and estranged from their wife and kids? Have you seen these numbers? It's, 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 it's appalling. I think that what men become when they lose their authority is a shadow of their former selves. I think men are meant to lead, and women are made to have dignity in their household, and, and I think men and women are both made to build each other up. But I think when we fail in that, when we see ourselves as separate from our spouse, then the temptation when you disagree is to put them down. But the thing is, y'all are chained together. You remember this scripture here? It said... Uh, uh, here is, I'm man and she is woman, Ish and Isha, that's the Hebrew, woman came out of man, and for this reason, a man will leave father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, right? I, I came very close to a quote there. The thing is, when you're one flesh and you're putting the other side down, can you imagine being chained to somebody and you're fighting on a ship in the middle of the sea and you push them off? What's going to happen to you? Right. You're hurting yourself. And that's exactly what happens in a marriage when you're tearing your partner down. There's no one doing it. You can't turn back time. You got the person you got. The best you can do is learn how to build them up. And you can go through life going, nope, I got a way out. I can go somewhere else. I can do something else. 
And what I generally notice is people who go through that life that way never get to the deeper wisdoms of life. I know that there are some real crummy husbands, and sometimes I'm one of them. But I just don't think there's, there's a lasting peace in leaving people that uh, cause misery in your life. You know, what would happen if Jesus divorced himself from us? We would die. We're about the worst spouse anyone could ever ask for, aren't we? When you look at the history of the church, Jesus has the worst bride. But he hasn't left us, you know. And I don't mean to ashamed. I'm, I don't math. I know the waters we're swimming in, and I certainly don't want to shame anybody who's gone through divorce or made. Uh, that's a terrible, hard decision to make. But I'm also not going to bless it, and I don't think anyone's asking me to. I don't think anyone is coming to the church saying, "You got to bless my divorce." I think we all know it's not a perfect scenario. But I think a lot of times we lack that clarity. And we lack that ability to suffer for a prolonged period of time. I, I, I didn't mean to spend this much time on it this morning, but it's something that's worth belaboring. There's a woman that I'm ministering to. She's not here. Her husband was terrible to her. And, um, and he recently died. But she can say that she was faithful to the end. And I respect that woman so much and i don't want to cast the image that it's only women putting up with crummy husbands there's a lot of men with crummy wives we are co-equal sinners and uh i don't know why we can't say things like that in today's society but the reality is we get we get hitched we get stuck with people and they're really hard to be with even the best husband my wife is about the best wife i've ever heard of there are some days that are just hard you know but the wisdom of marriage is you stick it out, you suffer alongside them, you suffer with them, you try and build them up, you pray for your enemies. Jesus told you to pray for your enemies. Sometimes your enemy is your spouse. There's a deep wisdom in that. And we live in a culture where when something breaks, you throw it out, right? Uh, that's how we treat people sometimes. Even the people very close to us. And I think the wisdom of the Bible is you stick together. And that's what Adam and Eve did after this, isn't it? They didn't divorce each other and go away they stayed together they built a family and boy it was a mess but they stuck together and that's uh you know we're going to hear in the romans reading christ is the new adam who sets right what was wrong then man i really did not mean to go in that direction um so since i went that direction i'm gonna go a little further um just all, all, all cards on the table, my wife and i started off with an egalitarian marriage we had no idea of a complementarian marriage my parents were egalitarian. Her parents are pretty egalitarian. I'm going to let them speak for themselves. But uh, Sarah, Beth, and I, our first year of marriage was, I want my way. I want my way. Here's my reasons. Here's my reasons. We would stay up. There was one morning we were fighting at 2 in the morning, and I said, I'm leaving this room, and you're not going to follow me. I need sleep. And I went downstairs, and I got in the downstairs bed, and I look up, and she's in the doorway. She's going, we're going to figure this out. And, uh, I mean, we had bad times. We had a time where she was right up in my face. Ooh. And I walked around her, and I went right out the front door, and she got in the car, and we had one of those trailer people things where she's, honey, get back in the car. And I'm going, no. <laughs> and we laugh about that because we've all, but that is a demonic force, man, that turns a husband and wife again. We know about that force, and finally one day, you know, we learned to worship together at home, and we were reading the Bible, and she said, what if we tried a complementarian thing? Or maybe I brought it up. I don't remember who brought it up, and I said, okay, if you want to try it, 
we can try it, but I'm not going to trap you in them, you know. And then the rest is history. It, it, it's worked for us. You know, we, 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 I'm not going to say we never fight, but it ain't like most people, and it ain't like it was our first year. We have found tremendous liberty in honoring one another in that way. Um, and I realize not every woman is Sarah Beth's quality, and I realize not every man is, you know, like me, whatever. But I just think we're so much worse when we do this in marriage, you know. And so I, Sarah Beth and I, we wanted to have a marriage. Uh, we don't want to have like a program, you know, 10 easy steps to a perfect marriage. I, I don't want to do anything like that. But I, I do want to intentionally build up marriages. I, I, I just think it grieves the Lord's heart whenever people are miserable in their homes and they have no one to talk to, no one to turn to. Or the people they talk to are like, you should leave him. He's no good. Or you should leave her. You could do better, dude. I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's satanic. And I, that, is, that is a form of temptation that Christians need, need to be able to say, no, Satan, get away from me. I'm going to bless my wife, even though it's so hard for me right now. So, um, temptation, sin, and we have five minutes left to worship. <laughs> let's, let's skip Psalm 32. Let's hear the wisdom Let's hear the wisdom of, of Romans. So uh, I think Sarah Beth was going to be the reader there, and she's hopefully not angry at me for talking about all of our dirty laundry. She, she might not be coming. Well, she's in the building. I would have gotten a motion alert. So I don't think she'll be mad at me. All right, I'll, I'll do the reading. I'll, I'll come down there and do the reading. All right. Um, our third reading is from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, chapter 5, verses 12 through 19, which you can find on page 1589 in your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. He's talking about Adam there. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's talking about us now. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. It's talking about Jesus. Adam was the figure of him who was to come, Jesus. It's saying that people were living under the power of sin and death even before the law was given. And then he's already talked about the law of Moses given and how it, it made sin even worse because it highlighted it for what it was. If you weren't here for the Romans series when we preached through it, it's on our podcast. If you don't know it, we have a podcast. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify. You can go back in time, look up the Romans 5 week. We covered all this. I felt really good about the Romans series. So anyway, verse 15. But not as the offense. The offense was the eating of the, the fruit. So also is the free gift. The free gift is what Jesus did. And we're talking about what he did on the cross, right? He shed his atoning blood. So the bad thing that Adam and Eve did was they ate of that fruit. The good thing that Jesus did that covers over the bad thing is shed his blood on the cross. He died for our sins. He took our sin upon him and died for us. 
So not, uh, I'm going to start 15 over again. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead. That's what Adam did. Because of what he did, everybody is born under a curse. Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. So Adam's curse covered everybody. Jesus' curse, uh, Jesus' healing covers many. It doesn't say all, it says many. Now, it's not to say that Jesus' blood is a not, not enough to cover all sins. We just know a lot of people are still living in sin after what Jesus did. So not everybody is going to be saved, but some are. Verse 16, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was one unto condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. So justification means you're guilty, but you're forgiven. But what Adam did covers us in guilt, even though we didn't even do anything yet. So Jesus undoes that curse. Verse 17, for if by one man's offense, Adam's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. What kind of people reign? Royalty. We're called a royal priesthood in Revelation, and it means it. People don't know it. When we go out from this place, if we are in Christ, we are kings and queens. But Jesus, the, the high priest king, when he came to be with us, he came in the flesh, and he came in the form of a slave, in the form of a servant, and he died an embarrassing death. And so we don't walk around, I am King Jeffrey, kneel in my presence. Rather, we, we serve as Christ served, right? Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So can all be saved? Yes, Christ's atoning death on the cross was for all men, all can be saved. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam's, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, Jesus, shall many be made righteous. Can we say thanks be to God? This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so, um, so yeah, it didn't even bring up Eve there, did it? The man gets all the blame, Adam, you know. Uh, and I already preached on that. Is there anything else from that Romans passage that needs to be made clear? I feel like it says the same thing like 10 times over, which Adam ruined everything, Jesus fixes everything. So what's, what's the thing it's calling us to do in response to that? What is, what is the overall Christian call? What's everybody supposed to do once they understand the good news? Okay, so the very first thing is repent, right? That's always the very first thing. In order, before you're even baptized, given membership in the church, repentance is in order. You cannot be right with God until you repent. And that means giving up on yourself. That means giving up on, on your own wits, on your own righteousness. You can't do it. You're born in sin. You're born in the sin of Adam. You can't undo it. You don't have the power. You're lost in sin. You are a slave to Satan. You don't stand a chance against him. You have to repent. Now, after you repent, then there's being baptized into the membership of the church and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And once the Holy Spirit seals you, he makes a home in you, and he sanctifies you. So you're justified, and then you need to be sanctified. So it's not just one thing. It's a, it's a journey. So you know how um, when, hey, Susie, I'm talking, and you're paying attention. 
Now, when you fall in love with somebody, you put a ring on their finger and you go through a ceremony called a wedding ceremony, right? And then you're married and you build a marriage together. Man, I'm coming to the same. I didn't even do this on purpose. But the thing is, there's the wedding and then there's the marriage. So there's justification, receiving the blood of Christ, atoning blood being put on your heart. That's justification. And then there's growing in holiness, and that's the marriage. That's sanctification. It's both and. You have to do both. So many people, they get justified, and then they never go any further. They stay in their same sin nature. They keep sinning. They are not saved. You have to grow in holiness. And so, Joe, you're right. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. We're called to perfect holiness, to allow the Holy Spirit to so dominate our sin that it just doesn't even exist anymore. That's the scriptural call. And that's what the blood of Christ makes possible. That's what the Holy Spirit working in us makes possible. And that's when we say, hey, we're always going to be a Methodist church, even if we leave the United Methodist Church. We're always going to, the, script, the doctrinal heritage we have is grace is more powerful than sin. Other traditions would say that, but they believe sin gets the last word in this life. We believe the Holy Spirit gets the last word every minute of this life. All right. Um, let me read. So we're going to skip to him if that's okay. Uh, we're going to end on victory in Jesus. We all like that one, right? So I'm calling on audible. I think that gives JC time to put victory in Jesus as a last hymn. Let's look at our last scripture. Oh, we're okay. We're only two minutes over. This is, oh, I feel so good. Okay. All right. I'm going to go back up to the pulpit. I'll, we'll read the, okay, very good. I feel bad about making y'all late for your lunch plans, but lunch is here, y'all. All right. All right, our final reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, which, hey, Sarah Beth, did you hear my sermon? You're so mad at me. Yeah, that's what I thought, okay. I shared most of those stories with people anyway, so... Okay, good. I, I, I talk on marriage some in Delaware. I'm like, I'm not going to do that in no water. And then I start preaching, and I lean into it so hard. Okay, so we're on page 1340 of our Pew Bibles. Listen again to the Word of God. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God... Cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy food against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and sheweth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto them, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. 
Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. That's an old-fashioned way of saying, Get out of here, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. This is the word of the Lord. So in order to understand the ins and outs of sin and temptation, you need to read the whole Bible. But we are given just a few snippets today to reckon with the nature of sin and temptation. I, uh, I don't see the point of this passage of Jesus wasn't really tempted. I think a lot of people want to read this and go, oh, Jesus wasn't tempted at all. I don't see the point of this passage if Jesus wasn't tempted at all. I believe Jesus was sincerely tempted by Satan. I believe that his flesh was crying out the same way my flesh would for sustenance, for comfort, for power and control, for glory. I believe he was fully tempted by Satan and it was because he was tempted in every way like unto us. I'm paraphrasing Hebrews now. He was able to conquer evil and we can walk in his ways. A lot of people think Jesus, hey Susanna, how are you? Huh? You go sit next to mama. The only thing that Jesus did that we cannot do is we cannot die for other people's sins, can we? It's only Jesus who can take our sins upon him. But everything else Jesus did, he expects us to do. He expects us to live the way he lived, to die the way he died, to say the things he said, to feel the things he felt, to love the things he loved, to hate the things he hated. And yeah, Jesus did hate some things. So Jesus, he shows us the model of how we are in relationship with Satan and the way we are in, how was Jesus in relationship with Satan? Satan came and he said his peace and Jesus answered him with scripture. Now the thing is, this is really hard because even Satan himself, he knows the scriptures. He quoted scripture to Jesus, but Jesus didn't give up on scripture himself. He instead said, no, you're doing it wrong. Here is a scripture for you. And then whenever Satan had done his worst, he said, get out of here, Satan. And that's the clarity you and I have to have. We all, we've heard that phrase, dancing with the devil, right? And we're comfortable using it in the case of like addiction, like drugs. Oh, that's a nasty sin. Or uh, imagine a, a, a liaison with a, a flirtation or something. You know, these are, but, you know, uh, dancing with the devil is staying in bed a little too long sometimes. Or watching a little too much TV. I mean, they're very innocent. They feel very innocent to us. Oh, I can do a little bit longer. I can do a little bit more. Having one beer too many. This is how Satan works. He takes something that feels so innocent, so it's not a big deal. You know, my, I just had to train myself. Anytime someone says, it's not a big deal, I say, it is a big deal. And sometimes it really isn't a big deal. Um, but, uh, you know, we need to have that, that sense about when Satan is coming close and he's tempting us. And we, uh, there's a, it's just, it's not cute or fun to be tempted. It's not cute or fun to be tempting other people. There's a comedian I like, and he, he has a silly example of uh, friends going out for lunch and, oh, should we be bad? Should we get the chili cheese fries? Oh, we're so bad, you know. But for a lot of people, that's a real struggle, Right? And then we go, oh, I was bad today. It's not cute. And a lot of times we just need to have that clarity of, okay, other people might think I'm cute. I might think I'm cute. God doesn't think I'm cute. I'm grieving his heart. 
I'm not saying chili cheese fries grieve God's heart. I'm saying that temptation does. And that when Satan starts whispering in your ear, you've got to have that sense to be saying, no, Satan, I know your ways. Get out of here. Resist Satan and he will flee from you. Draw close to God and he will draw close to you. If you haven't, um, if you think if you think Lent is stupid, that's okay. Lent is not in the Bible, but I do think we have to have times where we are intentionally making ourselves strong for the day of trial. Because here's, I ended on this note in Delaware, and I really liked it, so I hope you like it too. Jesus resisted Satan after forty days of an empty belly. Most of us can't even resist him whenever we got a belly full. You need to build up a better resistance to Satan because he is a prowling lion and he's just waiting to pounce. Build up that muscle memory now. I feel like I can end there. Are you okay with me ending there? Let's sing Victory in Jesus, hymn number 370. Let's stand and sing with joy and gusto.